0: Welcome to the Hustle & Flow Podcast,
1: a platform we use to explore varying perspectives and opinion through candid conversation. We chat about philosophy, business, and all things life. I'm Sean The Hustle. And I'm Les Flow. Let's go. All right, guys, the guest joining us today, her name is Vivian Law. Vivian was born and raised in Sydney and was brought up in a conservative Asian household. She considers herself a black sheep under these traditional circumstances and has always had a curiosity with things which are outside of the box. One of her great curiosities was sex work, and in 2017, while struggling life as a university student and working a full-time 9 to 5, she decided to dip her toes into the world of escorting. Fast forward to early 2019, Vivian decided to take a leap of faith and turned her attention fully towards building her escort business. She has thrived since then, and her work has taken her all across the globe. She has created a strong and ever-growing online presence through mediums such as Patreon, OnlyFans, as well as through virtual meetings and experiences on video platforms. So with that, it's our great pleasure to invite you to our podcast. So welcome, Vivian. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hello. Thanks for having me. No,
0: it's good to have you on, Vivian. And um, Les has given us some cliff notes to your life, I guess, very brief notes but um, what we'd love for you to do is to just uh, fill us in about you and your origin story you know where you're from how you've come to be the Vivian of today and feel free to go as far back as you'd like we'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah um, so just growing up in um, southwest Sydney um, to be precise um, I went to I, I went to uh, Catholic school um, throughout USA most of my life. Um so girls school from year seven to ten and then a co-ed school from year eleven to twelve. So um during school I was quite very, very quiet. Um I had like very minor rebellious stages, but then I spent most of my high school life quite studious and I did really well. Um in terms of my family, um pretty much since I'm the youngest of the family, I think I got away with more than I should have in terms of um like being the youngest out of three, I was allowed to have a boyfriend at age 15, which is quite strange. I think for Asian culture, you're usually <laughs> not allowed to have one until like after you finish uni. <laughs> I think I don't know it these days anymore. Um, so like my dad really trusted me and said, as long as I study hard, I can have a boyfriend, which I did, and I did really well in school. Um, so then after I finished school, I went and um, started my first university degree. So it was actually in physiotherapy. I ended up dropping, up dropping out after one year, just not ready. You're 17, 18 years old, and you have no clue what you're doing in life. Mm-hmm. Um, first year uni, I also broke up with my first boyfriend as well. I think okay. just finishing school, going through different stages of life. Um, I also started like my first job in hospitality as well. So that kind of um, gave me experience in terms of socialization. Like I had no clue how to talk to a stranger until I started working at my first job in restaurants and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, since there, I'm kind of dated around, lived the single life. And then I also started online dating from age 18. And this was, I don't know, how how old was I when I was 18? This was like eight years ago, (laughs) 2012, 2013. Okay. And I think this was before Tinder was around. So this was like when online dating was weird. Okay. I think it's like (laughs) hot... You have to hide, like, hide it from your friends and everything, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a different time, huh?
2: Um, so I started doing that and I noticed I was only 18 at the time and then I started meeting different age groups. So, like, I was dating people around 19, 20. The next minute I was dating people who were around 24, 25. Then I started getting to 30. And I started, like, dating people in their late 30s as well. But I started, like, really thriving off that energy of just that first date meeting new people yeah. and just getting to know people. Um, just like literally these people I'd meet were strangers. Yeah.
1: -hmm.
2: And then like in between there, I would also, um, be in and out of relationships. Um, so that was a bit of an adventure at the time when I was around until I was around 21. And then when I was around 21, I moved out of home, which is also not normal for Asian culture. I was, I just said to my parents, bye, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Um, And then I also then delved into that sugar daddy world. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So um, I think my first website I ever went on was like Seeking Arrangement.
0: Right.
2: So that was a really weird world. Like you just meet strangers, you go meet for coffee or meet for a drink, and then you kind of talk about a negotiation.
1: Right.
2: I didn't really last very long in that, maybe seven months in total. And then it wasn't really for me. Mm -hmm. And then I got into another relationship for a year and then we broke up at age 22. And then when he broke up with me, I was like, I'm bored. (laughs) And then I just Googled Sydney Escort. And then pretty much from there, um, once I Googled Sydney Escort, a whole bunch of websites and agencies popped up. I applied for a whole bunch of agencies and I got rejected by all of them. Mm -hmm. They said that I wasn't blonde, I wasn't tall, I wasn't what they are looking for. They are looking for minimum c cup boobs and everything. Mm. So I didn't get in. And um, then I came across another website, which allowed me to do it by myself. So pretty much, I just upload all the images myself and do pretty much all the marketing on my own. I just have to pay an ad- advertising fee. So since then, I've never looked back and I've done pretty well since, I think.
1: Right.
2: So I
1: don't know if I'm rambling. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, this is just the conversation, so you know, you can say whatever you want, and uh, not rambling at all. But um, super interesting. Like I want to, like you know, delve a little bit deeper in on some of those threads you sort of mentioned. Now, um, it seemed like you know this curiosity like you mentioned and I mentioned in your in your bio that um you always had this curiosity for you know this this industry the sex work industry so what sort of like um, sparked that curiosity for you do you think
2: I think it's just that um really that thrill and of just having a first date it's just mm-hmm. really exciting i think right just to never know where it'll go and just what you'll learn yeah that's what I found over my years of meeting strangers you just meet so many different things from so many different people because everyone has different life experiences
1: absolutely absolutely and I think um that's sort of and it's nice I guess to see the progression of your journey in terms of like you know starting and feeling that and thriving off the energy like you said of meeting new people through you know simply online dating and then like dipping your toes into those different worlds and like I want to sort of ask you now like um What was the, like, progression for yourself in terms of in your mind that led you to Google um, the escorting world?
2: Um, I think um, it may because I remember when I did the sugar daddy thing, I was kind of in denial that I was literally doing prostitution. It literally Mm -hmm. is what it is. I was in denial and saying that, oh, I wasn't getting paid for it. And then I think I just got over it and started just being curious about – what the industry was like, because I did get a little bit of money in that sugar daddy world, but it was not, it was a lot of, it was very, um, when I look back on it, it's very time consuming, and very draining. You end up like spending a whole night with someone for like maybe 400 bucks or so. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's a whole different story right now. Um, so I think it, what changed was just getting over the fact that it's okay to get paid. Yeah. Actually, a uh, funny, I, I think what also, um, led me to be curious was when I was dating um, a man, he was a lot older than me. Um, the last relationship I had, I was 21 and he was 45. And right. this, was not, this was not a paid arrangement. This was literally in my personal life. I was actually hanging around with him and his work colleagues. And they had a Christmas party in a hotel. And one of the married guys hired an escort. And we all shared this like three bedroom hotel room. So I, like, I ended up meeting her. And when I met her, she was such a nice, normal person.
0: Mm.
2: Like she wasn't dressed in high heels and stilettos and suspenders and stockings. She was literally like uh, sandals and a nice white flowy dress. Like she looked so normal. Mm. So I think that's what also let me accept um, entering this industry as well. That yep. I didn't have to be someone who was in a tight dress on the street.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think, um, yeah, it's interesting you use that word. It made you accept it, like, for what it was, right? Mm. And um, I think a lot of times people have these perceptions of different things and there's a stigma attached to things. And, um, you know, until you're actually exposed to something um, for what it truly is, you never really know. you just got all these things flying around your mind about what it's like. And then you're actually met with it face to face. And you're like, oh, this is what it's actually like.
2: Yeah. So when I like, saw this lady, she was beautiful. Um, she was like just probably mid-20s, just really nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so kind of that experience, I think, changed my perception of how I saw escorting or any lady in the sex industry. Yeah, um, yeah and I th- you're, you're completely correct how there's so much stigma associated with what I do. Like I have a lot of people explaining to me what I do when they've never done the work or they've never seen a worker.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's super interesting as well. And I think that that's something that's really important for us to sort of dive deeper into. So I'd love to get your take on, you know, um, I guess your perception of what it was before you jumped into it. You know, that that period of, you know, like you said, of denial of what you were doing, having to come to a, a level of acceptance of what it was. And then talk to us now as well, conversely, about what it actually is for you as someone who has done it for, you know, a couple of years now.
2: Yeah. um, So before I started sex work, I was also influenced by um, a lot of different men I've met in in many different ways. Um, So a lot of people had just said sex workers um, are very robotic. They have no feelings. They've got, um, they are really numb to everything. That's why they can do the work because they can just fuck whoever because they're so numb and don't feel anything. And Mm -hmm. that's what I was told by the sugar daddies I met who apparently had those experiences. Right. So like me being young and 21 and naive, you kind of want to impress, I think, when you're young and and kind of show that you're not that person. (laughs) And then you end up giving and sacrificing more than is required mentally and emotionally. So that's what I thought before where I thought like, People charge big money just to do nothing and just to like literally be emotionless. That's what right. I thought beforehand. Um, after being in the industry for like three and a half years, I think now um, it's completely not like that. I think I, I think like I think now with any relationship, like most. I hope I don't offend anyone, but like m- most relationships, in my opinion, are trans are a transaction in different ways it doesn't have to be money Yep. there are different parts of yourself you have to give so this is kind of a different type of relationship where it's money but in the end you can really truly I feel like I'm more myself in these relationships than any other personal relationship I've had
1: yeah that's so interesting it's super interesting that you frame it that way and I'd love for you to sort of you know give us some examples of um I guess what you might be referring to in terms of these you know Re- relational transactions and, um, and then I want to dive deeper into, I guess, how it makes you feel right now in terms of like, you know, being in your own skin, but, you know, that's a super uh, interesting way to frame it.
2: Yeah. Um, so what I love about what I do at the moment is I literally, I've put out a brand out there. This is what I look like. This is like everything you see physically is how I want to look. I literally own that look. It's not something anyone's forced me to do. Mm. and I put myself out there, I put my personality out there and how I want to market myself because that's what makes me happy, in my opinion. And people book me for that. So, like, I go into this relationship, I go into meeting a stranger knowing that they completely accept me for who I am. And I feel like I can truly be myself despite the transaction. And um, there's no stress as well of the drama, there's no stress of having to... um, give him more than what's within the time and same with me. Like he does, there's also our mutual understanding that he doesn't have to deal with my personal problems. He, has to, he doesn't have to feed my emotional um, feelings or whatever people need these days. <laughs> I haven't really thought yeah. that far ahead, but um, like it's just a very mutual understanding that we have such a good time together within the times we are together. And once we say goodbye, we live our own lives. Mm. And I feel like, yeah. yeah, in my personal life, I struggle with that where having to like literally start a life together is actually really hard. Rather, seeing an escort, I think, is the most easiest relationship you can have if you want to just fulfill a lot of boxes, like yeah. fill needs that you have yeah. without the drama and stress of having to meet parents, having to pay bills, having to buy a house together. Mm. Yeah. But you still tick all those boxes in a relationship.
0: It's really interesting because it's like, um, and you know, relationships are super subjective and who are any of us to say how a relationship should be. And I think that's, what's really interesting, you know, from the way that you explained, it's like, I do agree that a lot of relationships and most relationships are transactional in their nature, right? There's like something um, one person wants, there's something the other person wants, and then you either give or you get, Like, that's it, right? And it's in different ratios and in different areas of life. But, um, you know, who's to say that having some parts of that or some of those transactions met, um, you know, aren't better in a different sort of environment? Yeah. You know, I I think people don't stop to think about that. That's my point, is that, Mm. like, there's um, this ideal that people have and and they don't even know where it comes from a lot of time of, of how a relationship should be. Yeah. And, and what it's meant to be. And they're like, oh, like you have to give to get. You have to do this to get that. And you don't realize that you're doing these things to get something or you're giving to get. And there's there's this whole different world out there of a way to approach that.
2: Yeah. I think also um, in terms of relationships, I think society also plays a big role of how, telling people how relationships should be. I think totally. in my culture, uh, like in the culture I was brought up with, you were told that you literally... Go to school, you go to uni, you meet a partner, you buy a house, you get married, and you work and you have kids and that's it.
0: Mm. Like
2: yeah. I have met a lot of men who have gone through that route and it doesn't mean you're happy. I think society tells you that you're happy if you have kids, a house, and you're married.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And like that is that is like honestly the the epitome of like, you know, following the the quote unquote societal yeah. happiness um framework but absolutely you're right like you know um, i'm sure that uh, all three of us here can can think of a number of people in our lives that um have followed that you know that blueprint and uh we would consider not not extremely happy or having a tough time about things and like um you know back to this this notion of um, relational transactions. I think it's it's so important to sort of point out like it's so true that um, the word transactions doesn't necessarily need to be attached to to money. But like you know, it doesn't really have to do that. Like it for me, like a transaction is like an exchange of of, of value, right? And then there's a sacrifice on one end or the other. And like for the most part, because we use the word transaction in associate association with money. That's, that's what it's tied to, but it's not necessarily that the case, right? Like for myself, I'm in a long-term relationship. I'm married and um, you know, there's definitely like um, give and take for sure. And like, to, to me, that's, that's a, that's a transaction, you know, there's like uh, an emotional, you know, um, transaction. There's like, you know, physical transaction, there's things that you have to, you know, um, personally give up in order to, Maintain a steady loving relationship between two people, right? Two people who are choosing to be together. And that's the thing, right? Like, the, the, the choice to be together doesn't mean that you get everything that you want. But, like, it's so cool that, like, and, and like, like you said, how you framed it in terms of just being who you want within that allotted time that you have, um, it's fascinating to me. Like, you just, Get to be who you want, who you are, who you want to be, within that a lot of time, within that you know relationship, and then you move on to the next one or the next interaction or experience. Um, so yeah, it's just two different ways to look at it, really, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I think so too. Like, I'm not saying that being in a monogamous relationship is a bad thing. I'm sure there are. I'm I'm very sure there's many monogamous relationships who are very happy. Mm. But. I think not everyone can have that. It's I think like some sometimes it's the wrong timing, sometimes it's the wrong world. Totally. Sometimes circumstances pop up like um kid, I've I've had clients who dearly love their wives but they have an autistic child and you can't control that. Someone who uh, is severely autistic for example and the mother the wife has to give all her energy to the son or the daughter. And he's kind of left there being like, I support the family financially, but where are my needs? And that's why I think some men also go out and see someone like me.
0: Right. They don't want
2: to destroy their marriages or anything. I'm sure they want to stay. But sometimes the wife can't give her part of the transaction either on her end, or he can't give it to her. Or every, it's not black and white. It's so gray.
1: Totally. Totally.
0: And this, this grey nature of it is, um, you know, what's really interesting to me, which is people are so hell-bent on, like, putting things in a box and categorising things, right? They're like, this is the way it should be. And if it's this, then it means that. And if it's that, then it means this. And that's just from what you're explaining to me in the example you just gave, it's not like that, right? It's just, it's just yeah. not like that. So would you be able to maybe, um, you know, Talk to us a little bit more about that and what your experience has been in sort of from the perceptions you had to what you have now about relationships and people and how that's progressed from that grey area.
2: Yeah, um, there are so many. Uh, uh, um, I wonder if I can go through. I don't think I can go through all of them, but there are mm-hmm. so many different examples of um, like, I think as humans as well, we need, we, most of us, we all need human connection. And yeah. it doesn't, like, it doesn't just have to be from a marriage. Like it, it, we need something and even like um, another example, I just thought of as well is um a married person who still wears his wedding ring. He's actually a widow. Right. Like his partner. I've had, I've had a few men who their partners have died of cancer. And when you're in your fifties or so or forties, even or sixties, like some people don't even want to delve into that dating world to do that marriage all over again. Yeah. So I think like people, people um, assume that clients who see me, they're creepy old men who are so desperate for sex. That's what people say. That's a stigma against clients. And that's so not true. Mm-hmm. Um, Like it, some people do it out of curiosity. Some people do it for experience. Some people do it because they might not have sex in their marriage or some do it because they need that new spark. Like I, I do this work one reason why I do this work is I love that first date feeling. You don't really get that after being married for any longer than a year or two. Totally. Um, so like, I think that gray area just showed me that um, even looking at my own personal relationships that you don't have to, it's not black and white. You don't need to, you don't need to live in the same household to be happy to be married either. Like it's told me that relationships don't have to be monogamous either. Um, it just really, I, th- I feel like for me, relationships, if the man or woman or man and man, woman or woman or whatever, whatever gender, as long as they have a trust with each other, it's, I think that's a strong relationship in my feeling, in, in my opinion, sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's true. I mean, like, you know, and, and even, even the word trust in itself it isn't um, something that is black and white, right? That can be something that, that is defined by um, the, the couple or, you know, a group of people, you know. Um, trust is, again, very subjective and it's like collectively agreed upon um, and it doesn't have to fit the mould of a traditional monogamous relationship because, you know, um, I think people forget, you know, that the, the concept of monogamy and, and marriage is to a, a relatively modern human conception. You know, if we look back into, you know, um, I guess hunter gatherer days and tribal times, you know, that there wasn't such thing as like a monogamous relationship, you know, It there just wasn't, and this was seen to be a natural thing to them. Right. Mm. And so once we've sort of, put it in a certain light and painted it a certain way that we feel like we need to measure up towards, right? And that's just like, you know, the stigma behind, you know, sex workers and all this sort of thing, right? Like you said, there's like this there's this very um shallow, I guess, perception of what it actually is. And like, you know, I guess we're all very much influenced by uh what we're told in the media and like Hollywood and all these sorts of things. And, you know, I can put my hand up and say that, you know, there's a level of ignorance from my part as well in terms of what it is and what it's all about because outside of what we've been told collectively, I just don't know what it's about. So, you know, I don't have any standing in, 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 in a place of judgment, right? I just can't mm. because I just don't know what it's all about.
2: Yeah. um, People usually think um, in terms of what I do, like people I've had so many assumptions where people are like, oh, you only work at nighttime. And I'm like, not really. (laughs) People are like, oh, because I have some friends who, um, who I say acquaintances, and they would say to me something like, I know you're busy um, during the night, maybe we could hang out in the morning for a coffee. And I'm like, I'm busy in the mornings as well. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just a drunk mid of the night I need sex at night thing like
1: um
2: I think people also have the misunderstanding that um people don't believe it's a business even though it's actually um most people won't know surprisingly I've had this asked um quite a few times when I because I'm really out about what I do I tell my friends I tell my family knows I've told my colleagues in my old job they all know they will follow me on Instagram and everything (laughs) um people think it's illegal in Australia okay. right. and it's actually not illegal. Like I am, I run like any other business. Like I have an ABN, I've got an ACN, I pay my tax. Like people don't think I do that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, earlier in uh, the conversation mentioned all the different avenues you have of your business as well. Right. So like you've got, your escorting business, where you physically see clients, you've got Patreon, you've got your OnlyFans. Um, I, I'm not, don't know what else you've got going on, right? But they're like all these different channels, essentially, right? Like a business, and and they take work. And I, I, I think
2: Twitter and Instagram. Yeah,
0: there you go, and and like it's all marketing all the time, right? Like you said, you've built this brand for yourself and this image that you have, and you're putting that out. And that's what people um, essentially are purchasing, right? When they book your services, or if they they go onto one of your sites. So um, could you talk a bit more about that in terms of the actual work that it takes to do what you do? Because I think there's also this perception out there that people are just like, Oh, you just get to work when you want because you must be making such good money because you do something that other people yeah. don't want to do. So people will pay you more, and you can do whenever you want. And yeah, you just work at night, so all your days are free. And and I just don't envision that it's like that, and especially after what you just said. So not could at you tell us a bit more about that and what it's actually like?
2: Yeah, not at all for me. Um, so I I have an interest in listening to business podcasts, and I like li- listening to podcasts based on like self-employed small business owners who have started something by themselves. And when I'm listening to these, I'm like, this sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> Being running a business or running an escort business in a way, it's a seven day a week thing. Like literally I don't have days off. There's no such things as days off. If I'm not seeing a client, I am checking Instagram. I'm checking Twitter. I have text messages. I have emails. I also take messages on WhatsApp and signal. Um, I have a website to maintain. I do my photo shoots. I plan my photo shoots. I have to buy outfits. Sometimes clients want outfits, so I've got to look for outfits for them. Um, to meet a client, I have to book a hotel. I have to plan the hotel. I have to make sure it's an appropriate time. I have to juggle clients around. A client books at 8 o'clock, and then another client books at 12 o'clock. Then client one wants to be like, oh, can I do 11 o'clock? Then I'm like, shoot, I can't. Like... There's a lot of juggling around that people don't imagine, like, don't realize. Like, I, I, don't know, I see, I think I'm mid to high volume in terms of how many I see in a week or a month. So, like, there's a lot to do. And um, I post on Twitter and Instagram every single day, at least. And then um, my OnlyFans and my Patreon, that's also every day. Yeah. Um, replying to text messages, I have at least 20 to 50 people interacting with me every day, either talking about a current booking, either talking about a future booking, a past booking, clients and messages being like, I hope you're doing well. Mm. (laughs) Can't wait to see you again. Like I'm constantly, my phone's constantly going off all the time. And after three and a half years of doing this, I have a lot of clients. (laughs) Um, What else? Like, and I'm also, I also tour overseas and I tour around Australia so there's booking flights booking accommodation and when i'm on tour as well i see a lot more clients because you're in a city for a short period of time it's like when our musician has a concert it's fully booked Mm. (laughs) that's kind of like me when i go around the world yeah so trying to like line up people to fit them in and trying to make it work and make sure the hotel's clean between bookings and everything because me timing when housekeeping comes to clean my room is like actually a chore (laughs) um then doing my accounting after um my expenses my hotels paying my tax paying my buzz like doing the buzz report paying that off um on top of life admin and everything
1: yeah yeah it's 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 so funny that you you know just um you know, explain it in that way because like essentially any any business owner will know any like, you know, sole trader or entrepreneur or whatever. And, you know, all three of us are business owners and um, entrepreneurs and self-employed that when you st- like, you know, you, you when you start off and you won't get to a point where you have people on, you know, you're a one-man show for a long time. You know, that means, like you said, you are the marketing department. You are the admin you are the scheduling, you are the secretary, you are uh, everything, you know, everything. You, you do every single role within the business and, and it's no different to any other business, right? It's just the exactly. context and of what you're doing.
2: Yeah. People also don't realize because people just think I make lots of money lying on my back and seeing clients. People don't realize that everything in terms of website maintaining, Twitter, Instagram, I don't get paid for that.
1: <laughs> totally.
2: Like, no one pays me by the hour for that.
1: Mm. And I
2: have all these people who say that I'm lazy. Mm. And I have, like, random people on social media and Instagram being like, oh, send me nudes. Why don't you answer me?
1: Yeah. I get
2: that all the time.
1: Mm. And I think, I mean, it's it's part of that, again, that general sort of stereotypical ignorance that people have towards certain things in society and like unfortunately you know um because uh, your line of work has been stigmatized for so uh, you know has has a stigma for for so long um you know and I guess arguably it still has to to some degree right yeah. um so yeah i mean and like i guess <laughs> coupled with the fact that you know social media is just one of those places that you know, breeds those types of comments and those types of interactions. So it uh, sort of comes with the territory almost, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it's very frustrating. Like I believe I'm a business like any other business and I run the same as any other business. I pay my tax like most businesses. Um, but on ter- in terms of Twitter, Instagram, the other social platforms, I have gotten banned because I'm a worker. Mm. Like my Instagram's not my first Instagram. Yep. My first one actually got deleted at like 7,000 followers. So that was quite annoying. Um, mm. I've had, despite paying tax in Australia, I've had my credit card terminal suspended from me because of my business. Right. So like, it's quite frustrating um, to like do run as, a, um, run as a normal business in a way, but not get treated as one. Like mm. even in, when I go to banks, I do not even get treated the same way. How so? Like in terms of um, I in terms of the credit card terminal being suspended, that's one part. Right. Yeah. Um, I can't even take payment from my clients legally. They wouldn't even let me do it. Oh really? Um, because I yeah, because I said that because of the nature of my business, I can't use their credit card services to take well, payment anymore. And I'm like, that sucks. Yeah. Um, other things is um, I think also. Not my not my experience, but I've had other sex workers have, and their their bank accounts have been taken away from them because of the nature of their work. They weren't even allowed to have a bank account
1: right. with
2: Australian banks, which really I think is not right.
1: Yeah, especially because like especially if the I guess the industry and the line of work isn't illegal, right? So there shouldn't be any sort of different or unequal treatment in that regard. So. Yeah. I, I can see how it would be quite frustrating. I mean, that's, I mean, like you said, um, if you explain it the way you do it, it's, it's just a, another business, you know, it's a regular business. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so I hope like in the end, I hope one day it will, um, get better. I don't think now, but maybe in the future, like, I think the way I live though is I'm already out. So I don't, It doesn't affect me too much, but a lot of other ladies in the industry or other men or whatever genders, they have to hide what they do when you don't, I feel like you don't have to do that, but just with the stigma, they have to hide their faces, they have to hide everything. Mm. Like, I'm lucky I don't have to do that because um, my social network accepts what I do. And if they don't, I probably didn't even notice.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Now that's interesting. That's like one of the things that I, I sort of wanted to ask you about as well, and sort of come back because uh, you know, like you said, we we painted the picture in terms of like uh, the type of upbringing you had and the type of family you came up in, and you know, um, I understand because you know I've been brought up in a similar situation as a, you know, in a in an Asian conservative Asian household. So, tell tell us about you know that that coming out so to speak and like you know telling the people around you and your family and how that was and um you know how did they take it and and how do they sort of see it now
2: um so with family it's actually still quite hard um my sister found out about three years ago um i didn't actually tell her she actually found out um so very it's very annoying i had this rumor come out about me in my personal life three years ago do you know Defcon? I'm sure, I don't know if that's still around. I've never been.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, I know.
2: Um, I've never been to Defcon in my life. Like, it's just not really my scene, mm. um, which, fair enough for other people, it is their scene, which is completely fine. Um, and I was, like, doing my uni assignment at home one day, and I had, like, 30 friend requests on my personal Facebook with my real name. Right. And I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And then I had a few people that I was friends with be like, oh, did you go to Defcon? And I'm like, no. I didn't go. I'm at home doing my uni assignment. And one guy was telling me how there was a rumor about me that there's a video at me at DEF CON masturbating naked on the grass. And I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't go. And later I saw the video and a girl that looks like me, it was a very blurry video. She looked petite. She looked Asian. Um, apparently she was on something and she was naked masturbating on the grass. hmm Someone named that as my real name. Wow. That's why I had all these friend requests. I was like, what? And someone named that as me. Someone who knew me or something. And then like it kind of, my real name kind of went viral. And I was like, oh my God, this is so annoying. Because it wasn't even me. Mm. And then, um, then I think people who knew I was also an escort linked that occasion to my escort advertising. And that just blew up even more then people started saying oh um that's why she escorts because she needs mdma because that's what she was on at defcon and it just got worse from there and that's how my sister found out right so that was very frustrating she found out i escorted via a a false rumor about me my sister knew the rumor was false about me because she knows i don't do drugs and she knows i don't um i didn't go to defcon but the Obviously the escort advertising, I show my face. So she knew that was me. Um, so it's a shit, shit way for her to find out. <laughs> mm. um, so in the end, she kind of said to me, uh, um, why are you doing this for? Is it just for the money? And I'm like, no, I love what I do. I want to do this. And I think that's a, that's a thing that people don't expect to hear, that I want to do this. Um, people think that, I do this because I need the money, which I didn't. Um, And then she just kind of said to me, oh, you'll make mum and dad really sad. And I said, everything should be fine. Like I'm happy. And then she's like, are you safe? Are you healthy? And I'm like, I'm safe. I'm healthy. I do this quite well. I I mean, I didn't say I do it well, but I do it safely. And then she kind of just let it go. (laughs) And then like, since then, like she knows everything about it, but, we just don't really talk about it. It's just sex that I think in families is a really awkward thing to talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I don't think the sex work is a problem. I think the topic of sex in any, in certain situations is just a weird thing to talk about. Even I, getting to know certain people, people don't even talk to sex with their friends. Yeah. I talk to the sex with everyone. <laughs> I talk about it with everyone. I'm not, I'm open about it. <laughs> but I think the topic of sex is what makes people uncomfortable. And then I think people just blame it on the sex workers. It's just easier.
1: Yeah. I mean, because there's that, I guess, that intrinsic link between the work you do and the topic, right? That, that taboo mm-hmm. topic. Um, and yeah, I mean. So well, how- that's
2: how it is with my family. I don't really talk about
1: it. Yeah. Okay. And I guess, how, how about your parents? Like, how did, how did they sort of take it in, initially?
2: Um, they kind of, I think my parents work on denial because like my parents know I've had sex had a boyfriend at age 15 we were allowed in each other's rooms with the closed door when we were young
1: yeah
2: so they never talked to me about it but they know (laughs) they kind of just like they know but they didn't talk about it (laughs) as well I think it's just it's just better that they I see them every week I have a very good relationship with them they just check up they ask me questions like are you doing okay is money okay Mm. I think that's their way of saying are you okay are you all right I hope you're well yeah because yeah. I think with Asian parents, they can be... They don't know how to communicate, especially when my first language is English and their fourth language is probably English.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so, I completely get that.
2: It's fine. Like, in the end, um, I can't talk to them about it like I do with my friends, but I have a good relationship with them and I'm lucky that they don't... They let me... They support me in whatever I do.
1: Yeah. And I think the key there is, like you know, you said it there when you were describing how, you know, you had that initial conversation with your sister is that you're happy. You're you're genuinely happy doing what you're doing, you know, whatever it is, right? And I think at the end of the day, if you can do something that essentially makes you happy and you're able to, you know, su- survive and, and thrive off of it, then it doesn't really matter what it is, right? Dep- like regardless of what anyone else you know, thinks about it. And I think that's the, that's like, I guess it's, um, this day and age, it's a, it's a very courageous thing that you're doing, you know, being able to do what you do and talk so openly and honestly about it. So, you know, very commendable. And, um, I respect that.
2: Yeah. Like I think when people talk to me about their lives, the advice I give, like, I'm not experienced, I'm not, I'm only 26. I'm not very experienced in terms of life, but, um, I always tell people, you you do you. It doesn't matter what other people think. Hmm. Like, I know it's a hard thing to learn. Like, even sometimes I get comments on social media where I'm like, oh, God, that kind of hit a spot. (laughs) But, like, in the end, you just have to move on and just be strong and do you. Because in the end, um, making decisions based on other um, other people's, like, thoughts and how they approve of you is not the right way to live if... People will only be a friend if you do something they approve of. Like what's, what kind of life are you living in a way?
0: Yeah, I agree. That's something that I always say to Les and, you know, it's like you should be able to do whatever you want to do just as long as you're not hurting other people. Exactly. Like for everyone, whoever you are, right? That's it. That's what it boils down to. And, um, you know, I want to bring you back to something you mentioned just earlier, which was you said, you know, like the topic of sex is weird for people and like leading on to just people doing what they want to do um you know when i would imagine that you have clients that come to see you and you know they're weird about it because they don't know what to expect and then after they've spent time with you that perception would change are you able to talk to us about that
2: yeah like i definitely feel like um, most clients i meet they feel i i can't say for everyone but i feel like in my experience um i make clients very comfortable very easily they can just like be them be themselves like I I can be really weird I can be really like I'm really weird I ask weird questions to my clients like I always like ask them like what porn do they watch (laughs) it's a very personal question I think (laughs) and I'll be like what porn do they watch just so I get a vibe of what they like because in the end I want them to be comfortable and not to feel like they have to step around me like I don't want them to pay me to step around my boundaries like I just want them to be comfortable And that's how I work in a way. Um, So I think like, I think as well in certain relationships, they can't always talk to their partner of what they want, like in terms of in the bedroom. Um, Like I think some people, people's needs are so different. I have a lot of people actually tell me that their wives hate it, hate having um, like, they don't like being going down. They don't like that. Yes. Um, women, their wives, don't like to receive oral sex. Right. But a lot of men I meet love doing it. So I think like, um and I think sometimes in relationships it's very hard to ask a partner to be like, oh I want to do this, and just to feel the rejection.
1: Yeah.
2: I definitely feel that in my personal relationships. I don't like rejection either. Mm. It hurts, and you don't want to ask anymore.
1: Yeah. No, it's very interesting, and like um, you know, uh, again, it's one of those things. Like when you are in a relationship, it's it's sort of like um, you 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 begin to understand each other's you know unspoken boundaries almost, you know, and that's um, I guess this this line of work it allows people to um, fully express themselves however they wish to do that because again, certain things that people like to do or even have, have fetishes over and things like they, again, uh, uh, things that are, um, stigma, you know, in, in collective society and it comes with this, you know, sense of shame and, or what, whatever it is, right. Rejection, as you said. So, um, it's almost like you're giving them, uh, a safe space to be able to express that. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't like to say, I feel like sometimes I can be a bit of a counselor. Like you're completely right. I feel like the space I provide is safe where if they say something, I won't be like, oh, get out. We need to break up.
1: Yeah.
2: Like the only time that I'll ever be like that with a client is if they disrespect me. Mm -hmm. So like telling me their fantasies and their fetishes isn't disrespect. (laughs) Um, like I think disrespect is just like not, um, I think it works in any business. If someone's going to be rude to you, you don't want to serve them.
1: Totally. I mean, it's just like a, and, you know, even outside of business, it's about, you know, um, common human courtesy, right? Between two people, two individuals, regardless of whether there is um, any sort of transaction involved or not, you know?
2: Yeah. Like Um, people think I fuck anyone. Sorry, language. I think that's the first one I used. (laughs) good. (laughs) People assume that I would literally do anyone. And I'm like, no, I'm actually very picky with who I meet. Um, it's funny as well in the, in terms of even emailing me. Like, inter- you're, like if you were to approach your doctor or approach a hairdresser or anyone, you'd be polite in asking for an appointment. Mm. Some people can, because I'm a sex worker or an escort, people just assume that hi, babe is appropriate. Yeah. Like, I don't mind using that word if I've gotten to know someone over time. Like, my friends call me that sometimes. But, like, people kind of just think, hi, babe. Want to <laughs> fuck? <laughs> like, it's appropriate, and it's not. <laughs> so yeah. I think I would, I, I would like in future for that to change a bit, where I am still an individual that you should respect. And I think people assume that if they're paying for sex, they don't have to respect me.
0: Yeah, that's a real interesting... Um real interesting thing to talk about I think is that like when people think that they pay for things, that level of respect or decorum goes out the window, right? It's the same as like people who are rude to people when you're out at a restaurant. They're like, oh, I'm paying for this. And I'm like, yeah, but you do realize they're a person, right? Yeah. And just because you hand over money doesn't mean you get to do whatever the fuck you want, say whatever the fuck you want to someone and totally disregard them as a person. Yeah,
1: exactly. I find that
0: concept really <laughs> weird, but, um, you know, Now you bring it up. I can imagine that it does happen. And so how do you deal with those situations when Um, they happen to you?
2: I don't really let it happen because like the first stage is like emailing me or texting me. And if they're kind of rude from that, they don't really go to stage two or three or even meeting. Like I find that I am quite um, lucky that I get to pick and choose my clients. Like not, I believe not everyone can, but I really, I get to choose. Like if someone's rude to me, I'll be like, good luck with your search. Yeah. Like there are other workers out there, um but um, what's it called? It's true, like I think for me, the biggest turnoff is when like I've been with a client, and he was so rude to the waiters, and I just wanted to get out of it mm. like yeah. he yeah, he was so rude, like really horrible to them about serving the wine in the wrong glass <laughs> like, like. like you could just ask them nicely to bring a different glass. <laughs> Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, And I I remember in that particular booking, I left halfway through the night. I couldn't do it.
1: Right.
2: I could just feel too much boundary pushing too much. I'm entitled.
1: Yeah. And
2: in those cases, I will literally give back half the money and leave. Mm. I, I think that's a lot of businesses would do that. If they don't want to, if you, if like, like my, I think you, my friend, our friend, Justin, yep. <laughs> um if, he wouldn't take the money if he didn't do the business. Like it's yeah. the same thing. I yeah. think. It's like any other business. You give yeah. a refund if you're not going to provide the full service and you move on.
1: Totally. I mean, like just like Sean said, I mean, it's sort of this it's like transcending this this um this conception of of you know, transactional business bounds and just understanding that we are still interacting with, with people at the end of the day. And um, it is a reflection of who you are in terms of how you hold yourself in, in the public forum. Um, but what I want to ask you as well, like, I guess, leading on from that, is like, it's this concept of safety, right, for you. And um, how, like, I, I'm, I'm guessing that, I guess, when you entered into this um, full-time as well, like, there was maybe a, Um, I guess unknown in terms of your own safety and how you would manage that like talk me through that process and how it actually is for you
2: yeah at first I wasn't really very smart I think and I think we all do that when we first start a business we all make our mistakes Um, I actually invited like a few strangers to my home at the time and like there's nothing wrong with running a business from home many industries do it but I feel like in in the sex industry, it's probably not the safest way to do things. So I don't do that anymore. Um, I host now from hotels. So in the end, um, people, people are like, why would you spend the money? It takes half your income sometimes, or half the rate. And I'm like, because I don't have to deal with anything. Like if anything went wrong, security and cameras are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one way. Um, in terms of me going to the client, I usually don't go to houses either. Like I might do a service department at most, but I wouldn't usually go to someone's house unless I've met them before. And I also have supportive friends who I can count on anytime. time. I tell them where I am, what location I am and what time I should be done. So someone's kind of always looking over me, checking if I'm still alive, <laughs> which I should be. And I and for me, um, not everyone can, but I would, if anything went wrong, I've got no hesitation going to the cops for anything because the law in Sydney would protects me. So like, I do feel safe. I like, I feel like um, other places are just more, just as dangerous. Like I had, um, I met a psychologist a few weeks ago and he was telling me how, how do I cope being so petite? How do I deal with my safety? And he was telling me how he works in a hospital as a psychologist. So he works with like uh, mental illnesses. And I'm like, I think your job's a bit more dangerous. And he's like, oh, that's true. He was telling me how some guy, um, he had schizophrenia and he put a knife at him. And I'm like, yeah, I think yours is a bit more dangerous than mine. <laughs> I think it also depends on how you work as well. Like, I never take bookings late at night. Like, I'm usually in bed by 10 o'clock, so. Yeah.
0: That's interesting as well. Like, is it different, just out of interest, do people act differently in different times of day? Like, is there a reason that you do that?
2: Um... I find, um, I guess if some, it depends as well. Like if someone wants to meet me at 11 PM, but they give me notice, they said they have a client dinner or they have work, then I'll be happy to meet them at 11 PM if they give me notice. But if they message me at 10 PM being like, are you free now? I kind of just assume that they've gone online. They're drunk. They're bored. They're horny. All of the above. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's a safe place for me for someone to, book me because I'm drunk or yeah. on something. And usually I don't think if someone's going to be on something, I don't think they're going to give me advance notice and prepayment. <laughs> Good yeah. point. I think, I don't think that would, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I think that makes, that like, makes logical sense because, you know, we all hear these things that people say, they're like, oh, never trust yourself at 3am, mm. you know, in relation to anything, it's like all oh, your yeah, deepest, darkest things come out in your mind. And, and that's why I asked because I'm just curious, and, and you've answered it, you know, like if someone gives you notice, it makes total sense. But if someone just yeah messages you at like 10 o'clock at night and they're like, Hey, it would definitely make you think. And then when you turn up, what state are they going to be in? And and that definitely would affect your safety. Right?
2: Exactly. So um, I have taken like last minute during the day on a weekday. That usually means I've got a work break. <laughs> I'm horny. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in between work.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, like,
2: yeah. la- like, during the day, it feels okay for me. But, yeah, at nighttime, I don't, it just doesn't feel like the right time to meet some of a stranger.
1: Yeah. And I guess, like, it's, it's, um, it, it's just, like, it's actually just, like, a pragmatic approach to your business, really, in terms of, like, how you do your screening process and, like, you know, the decisions you make in terms of just which clients you get to, like you said, pick and choose. It's, again, based on the nature of your work, how you can pragmatically uh, be as risk averse and safe as possible. And like, again, these are just simple decisions that any business would have to make depending on, you know, the nature of the, the, you know, the work or the project or whatever that they're working on. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Like sometimes I'm sure like, that's why I feel like I, the way I work is quite safe. Like most of the time I do get prepayment. Like some people, I'm sure some businesses don't have any prepayment at all. Don't even mm. have a name. Mm. Like, um, so I don't really stress too much about that. And I also feel like um, I've been – I was online dating for so many years. I feel like online dating and Tinder is actually more dangerous. I've had worse experiences there than I have in escorting. Yeah. Like I've had really bad experiences online dating actually. Um, so in the end, it's not – I don't think it's not safe. Like it depends the way you work. And I feel like I've also built years of experience and my intuition's quite on top. Like I've never had it um, – I've never had to let me down.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So online dating is so much worse in my opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, just to, you know, wrap up this uh, really intriguing conversation, I would just like, I'd love to just give you the floor and just sort of, if there's anything you want to share with like the audience in terms of um, I guess from a first person perspective, like breaking the stigma of what, you know, your industry is about and like just educating people. What would you like, you know, like to say to people about that?
2: Yeah. Like I think in terms of seeing a worker or even being a worker, like don't feel ashamed of wanting to do something. If you feel like you want to do something, just do it. As long as you're not like, you're not murdering anyone. Mm. (laughs) Like if if you feel like you, if you need something, just do it. Like why stop yourself in a way? Like, you only have kind of one life to live. What's the point of being unhappy when you could just go for it in a way? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
2: You're more welcome to ask me questions as well. Like, I'm not sure if I covered enough.
1: (laughs) No, of course. That's all good. I mean, I guess um,
0: just, um, sorry, that's just leading on from what you said, you know, there's all these things and like these quote unquote rules that people have in society as well, right? And I think people would. Some people would hear what you just said and they'd be like, oh, well, what if that means there's a married man and he's going to cheat on his wife, right? Um, To that, I guess when I think about that after the conversation we've had today is that's just a statement that people are are making out of judgment, right? And you're not thinking about all these other factors that could play. Um, There may be some people whose partners know that they, you know, that they visit sex workers and that that they have a relationship with someone else. Um, There's all these different uh scenarios and circumstances of life and I think it's just really ignorant of people to not be mindful of those you know yeah and um also just to the only reason I bring that up is I think it's also really easy for people to disregard what you said right Mm. based on their preconceptions of things or just these stone set beliefs they have about things and and their failure to want to look at another perspective so that's why I bring that up and yeah like you said know, life is short if there's something you want to do you should do it and there's all these things that come up like rejection and people being in circumstances that they can't do anything about and that's just something i think we should all consider and i, I didn't want what you said to to get lost on people
2: yeah exactly that's completely true like in the end we all have needs like and i believe that um people in relationships um with the married ones like i'm I'm sure they have a very fulfilling relationship, but it's so much to ask for one person to give you everything. Totally. And, I, and like one person can't give you everything and that's okay. That's completely okay. Like I have a lot of married clients who actually have told um, their wives know that they're seeing me and they're fine with it because they know that their husbands will always come back. Because I'm not, I don't, people don't see me to marry me. I'm not marrying any of my clients. <laughs> Like most will go like most will go back
1: yeah, and like you know that's it's a nice way to sort of frame it again, like you know before people can and this is why this this conversation is so important because you know before you can you know cast judgment onto anything, you know we must have an open mind to what it's really about, and before we you can't really. You know, say anything until you put yourself in the shoes, right, and really understand what it's truly about. You know, yeah. what it's truly about, and like even as people, we're just holding the space for this conversation, right, and um, it's opened up my perspective on what it's all about. Um, you know, not having you know sought the services of uh, you know this sex work industry before, and like, uh, it's it's just about for me just an open mind and understanding that, again, it's just another line of work, right? It's another line of work just like anything else. And yeah. um, it's a very art- archaic way to think if it's like, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, prostitution and things like this back in the medieval days when that's when, I guess, the the original stigmas had started to, to come from. So, so, yeah, like, again, really, I respect you. Uh, for again being so open and honest about uh your work and you know educating us about this so thank you for that and thank yeah, you for coming on and speaking good. about it
2: yeah i feel like i forgot about the single people as well but like yeah the single people as well <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: like in the end be. for them it's also convenience as well like not you don't have to be in a relationship to also be happy people are also happy living the rest of their life single mm, i think totally
1: I <laughs> totally I mean like you said you you know you're you're super happy now doing what you're doing you know.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so yeah um I'd I'd love to give you the floor and just um you know where can people find you if they want to if they want to you know connect or say good day to you.
2: Yeah. Um so you can easily find my website um vivianlaw.com um you can easily find me if you Google me, you'll find literally all my links. If you just type in Vivian Law, I have my own Google page somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so, Instagram, Twitter, OnlyFans, Patreon. If um, you're really nervous to meet me in person or can't meet me in person because of location, Skype meets or whatever video meets are super, super helpful um, in terms of breaking the ice. It's like you mm. literally, like there's one guy from Melbourne. I've Skyped with him every single Friday since April. Oh, wow. Well. I feel like I know him so well and I haven't even met him before. <laughs> so like you can find me like literally just pop me a text or pop me an email, be polite, be respectful. And I'll, i promise I'll try to reply on time or as fast as I can.
1: Cool. Thank you. Cause cool. I do
2: work for myself. <laughs> so I can't reply straight away.
1: Yeah. Keep that in mind people. What we'll do, <laughs> we'll, um, we'll, we'll take all those links and we'll put in the show notes so people can find you easily. Easy. Cool. Well, thanks um, for having me. No worries. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, Sean, where can people find you, mate? The
0: yeah, easiest place to find me is just on Instagram. So Sean underscore Coop. That's S H A U N underscore C O O P. Just drop me a message there. And I'll also try to get back to you on time. <laughs> How about <laughs> you <guys?
1: laughs> Yeah. Just find me on my website, findingspace.co. You can send me a, 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 an email through there, any inquiries, anything like this. And um Yeah. I'll get back to you there. Uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Findingspace.co same thing. If you want to get in touch there, feel free to drop me a line. Um, as well, you can get in touch with Sean and I through our email address, the hustle and flow podcast at gmail.com. If you've got any questions about this episode, if you want to get in touch with Viv or you want to come on as guest, anything at all, just send us an email and say, good day.
0: Cool, guys, and, um, as we always ask just a humble request if you took something from the conversation today a little nugget something that changed your perspective made you think a little bit differently we ask that you just share with one other person that's why we have conversations like these to you know hear different perspectives and to learn a bit more and hopefully do better with that so until next time guys thanks see you
1: guys
2: thank you bye